Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're going Amos 5 through 9, finishing out the book today. And remember, this guy Amos is the shepherd in Israel um, who, or in Judah who prophesies to the northern kingdom of Israel primarily, but also to his own uh, kind of side of the tribe uh, in the south as well and so he's yeah just going in man and like chapter five picks up right where we left off and so he's lamenting here for the people and he gives a specific prophecy about the judgment that's to come and that's going to flow through the rest of the book all right so he says yo she has fallen virgin israel will never rise again she lies abandoned on her on her land with no one to raise her up for the Lord God says the city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left and the one that marches out a hundred strong will only have 10 left in the house of Israel um basically man you know this judgment that's going to come against Israel is spoken of in the language in context of military defeat remember the old testament world was this militaristic culture right and so judgment came by god allowing the enemies to take over israel and once again what what, what amos is going to say is the remedy to israel's problems is not merely to stop what they're doing right it's not merely to stop doing bad things right it is not solely to cease their rebellion it is meant for them to seek the god of israel right and we learn here that he's going to call for repentance all throughout this text we learn that repentance is more about who we are turning to than what we are turning away from right we can stop we can we can turn away from our sin but does that mean we're actually turning to god right that's a question we ought to ask ourselves and israel throughout the chapter is going to be confronted over and over again with the holiness with the power and the grandeur of god's person who he is in and of himself and this holy god rebukes them as we know for their injustice and their unrighteousness verse 15 will say this hate evil and love good establish justice right um at the city gate perhaps the lord the god of armies will be gracious to the remnant of joseph but let justice flow like water verse 24 and righteousness like an unfailing stream the ideas of justice and righteousness are two terms that are related and go hand in hand in the old testament we've said this before justice especially in these contexts deal with the entire scope of god's government in the world right so justice means to exercise a fair use of power and proper functioning of a judicial system in Israel that protected the weak and the vulnerable in the in society, right? It had to do with the with the with the fair use of power, right? And individually, right, on an individual level, justice was speaking um, about dealing with one's fellow man in business fairly and conduct fairly. Righteousness, a related term, uh, involves merely doing right in the sight of God, right, more generally. And so these concepts are so intertwined throughout the Old Testament. They show up so much in the prophets. And God is saying, yo, like, this is all I expect from my people, right? You don't have to be the most gifted, have the biggest platform, you know, preach the best sermons. You don't have to have 
uh, the whole thing, whole shebang all going on. All you have to do is be just and righteous. And that's something we all should strive for. And that's something we all can attain. Amos 6. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Um, and to those who feel secure on the hill of Samaria. The notable people in the first of the nations. Those the house of Israel comes to. Chapter 6. We're just told basically of the complacency and pride of Israel and Judah. So here we will get, you know talk about both kingdoms and god is going to say fam fam no no no. listen y'all really think it's all good right like y'all just really are deceived into thinking it's okay right y'all got all y'all y'all got y'all feet kicked up right drinking sutter homes wine kicking it maxing and relaxing and i'm trying to tell you guys there's a sense of urgency because judgment day is coming right and what we see is that is that this is due to Israel's pride. And and one of the things we'll we'll find out about pride, man, is that pride always, listen, pride always sneaks in the back door. Right? It always sneaks in the back door. It never barges through the front. What do I mean? Well, it's subtle, right? It shows up unannounced. It creeps in and it usually is found in spiritual complacency. Right. Being unable to discern when you are displeasing God and letting that lack of discernment lead you to a place where you don't live with a sense of urgency and fervor before the Lord. Right. And and we tend to think that um, especially, you know, it's just more subtle in our day and age. But we tend to believe that there are things and patterns that we can continue in. And just simply get away with, right? And God is like, in this text, look around, right? The nations who are much bigger, faster, and stronger have fallen to Assyria. Why are you so naive that this won't happen to you, right? Pride never thinks it can happen to us. One of the ways you know you're being prideful is if you see the fall of someone else and you think that would never be me. And that's what Israel thought. And God is showing them these other nations like, yo, fam, they fell at the hands of my judgment. It's going to happen to you as well. And seven, eight and nine, he's just going to beat this drum over and over and over again. And so in seven, we get three visions, right, that symbolize that symbolizes uh, God's judgment on his people. The first is of locusts. The second is of fire. And the third is of a plumb line. And all of these visions, you know, the first two at least, Amos is going to intercede for the people. He's going to be like, yo, God, please don't do it, please. And God is like, all right, I'll relent. It won't happen. And then in the third, Amos doesn't intercede, right? Because he sees that the people's rebellion is constant and continuous. And God is sure about the judgment he's going to bring. Chapter eight comes. And we get more of the same, right? And the fourth vision is one of a basket of summer fruit, right? That was ripe and ready to be consumed. And similarly, Israel is ripe and prime for God's judgment, right? Um, you know, and this text is going to say this, man. 8, 9 says, and in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into morning. And all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone 
to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son hmm. and its outcome like a bitter day. You know, what's funny is that in its original context, this is talking about uh, the coming of Assyria to take the people of God into exile, specifically the northern kingdom, 722 B.C., uh, the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. And this is what Amos is prophesying in this context. Now, we must remember the language here, right? He says, I will make the sun go down at noon. If you think about the Gospels, when Jesus dies on the cross, you know, one of the things that happens, I think in every, at least I know the three synoptics, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for sure, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm not sure about John, but I know for sure every single one of those, when Christ dies on the cross, it always says, and the whole land went dark, All right? The whole land goes dark. And we see here that in the same way that God says, yo, y'all going to have, y'all going to be shaving your head, sackcloth and ashes, the whole nine, fam, that was an act of humiliation, right? That, ju that God's judgment had came. Well, we see at the cross, when Christ dies, darkness comes over the land. And that is literally his humiliation. He humbled himself. Think Philippians 2. Humbled himself to obedience. Uh, uh, taking the likeness of man. Uh, humbled himself in a form of obedience by taking the death on a cross. He humbles himself. That's his humiliation. And we see that, you know, just like this text says, I will make that grief like mourning for an only son. We see God giving his only one uh, begotten son as he executes the curse on Christ. So that we can have our sins forgiven, right? So that we can have a right relationship with God, so that we could be justified, so that we could be sanctified, so that we could be adopted into God's family. All these beautiful truths that the gospel brings. And it's only because God doesn't bypass his judgment, right? It's only because God is just enough to punish sin, but merciful enough, merciful enough to where we won't experience it and so amos is prophesying about his time but he's prophesying as well about what comes after here he suddenly here he says too look the days are coming this is the declaration of the lord god when i will send a famine through the land not a famine of bread or a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the lord we remember christ at the cross is like my god my god why have you forsaken me and we don't hear any response from god right and we see here, God is so fed up with God, his people, that in this time, he's like, yo, y'all really going to want to hear me then, right? Y'all ain't hearing me now. Back then, they didn't want me. Now I'm how they all love me, right? Later, y'all going to want to hear my words, but you won't, right? And whenever, listen, silence, the silence of God should terrify us, right? When we're unable to hear the voice and word of God, and we know we've been in sin, that terrifies. Chapter nine comes. He gives a final uh, uh, vision of, you know, judgment. And, you know, after that, he talks about restoration. So the first part, you know, is about uh, the Lord standing beside the altar, slaughtering his enemies. Very like uh, vivid imagery there. But the end, man, he talks about restoration. So he says in that day, I'll restore the fallen shelter of David. I'll repair its gaps, restore its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Look, the days are coming. Verse 13, this is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads great, the sower of seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills and all the hills will flow 
with it. What God spoke of before in terms of famine and destruction here, he talks about in terms of abundance of crops, blessing and land restoration. He talked about the death of not just a nation, but of the Davidic dynasty. Right. And now he talks about in nine about its rebuilding. Right. He talks about the wine that will drip from the mountains and how the hills will overflow with its with 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 uh, wine. And this is symbolic, but it's real. Right. Of the coming of the kingdom of Christ, where he where he, the true son of David, Jesus, who died and resurrected for us, restores an eternal relationship with God and who we will be with forever in the new heavens and new earth, eating at the wedding feast of the lamb with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, kicking it, having a good time, asking all our best theological questions that we had on earth. Right. Uh, wondering if <laughs> wondering if, you know, um, it could get any better and it won't. Right. That everything will be fulfilled. Um, and we'll be drinking sweet wine with the Lord Jesus, uh, the lamb who was slain for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your prophecies of judgment and of hope and restoration. God, we pray that we would remember this now on the front side. Um, so that would lead us into justice, righteousness, faithfulness, and keep us from spiritual complacency. We love you. Jesus.